thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This is the third message in our series, 2020. This series is all about vision. It's about purpose. We want to help you unlock yours and find out what on earth you are here for. Sit back, relax, enjoy. We're going to be in a book called 2 Samuel chapter 9. As we go through this morning, I'm going to explain exactly what we're talking about. Uh, but just right now, we're going to read it. 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. Does anyone in this room have a paper Bible? Anyone? We got one. Somebody say him. We got two. Yeah. That's amazing. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, don't feel bad. It's going to be on the screen behind you. Uh, it says this in verse 1. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul that I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king. He said, There's still a son of Jonathan, but he's lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. How many of you guys know sometimes God takes you from low places and brings you somewhere higher? When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to you, to your grandfather, Saul, and, to, and you will always, someone shout, always, eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Can we give Annabelle a hand right here? I want to begin with a question. Have anyone in this room, have you guys ever felt at a moment, at a time, in a season that you were not good enough? Anyone ever felt that before? It's funny, I was, I'm reading a book right now, and it's a Christian book, and I don't know about you guys, but when I read books, uh, for some reason, like, I just need to know everything about the author. Anyone like that? Like, if I read a book, I need to know who their spouse is, I need to know who their kids are, I want to know where they live, I want to know how big their house is, and so... I'm reading this book, and uh, after I finish reading, I put it down, and I decide, you know, I'm going to go on Instagram, and I'm going to look up this particular author. And so I went on Instagram, I looked him up, and I was just scrolling through his things, and then uh, in the midst of his Instagram feed, he had a video. And it was a video of him at his desk, he was in selfie mode, and uh, he was sharing a message to his hundreds of thousands of followers. And what he said was this, he was like, man, and this was a few weeks back, it was Easter week. And he was like, it's Easter week this week. This is one of the best weeks in the entire year because this is the week that we can take advantage of CEOs. And he said, the world is filled with CEOs. And he said, a CEO is someone that comes to church on Christmas and Easter only. And so he shared this message. He said, he said, our job, he said, your job. He's like, I want to encourage you guys, your neighbors, your friends, your co-workers, whoever has God has placed in your life, I want to encourage you to invite them out to church. He said, I know that your pastor has been praying for hours over his Easter message, and your job is just to invite people out. And so I watched this video, and by the end of this video, I had this feeling inside of me 
And it was this feeling of not being enough. Now, I'm not sure if you guys caught what happened in that story, if anything stuck out to you, but one thing stuck out to me. I'm going to just be honest with you guys. My Easter message that I preached a few weeks back, and every single message that I've ever preached, I'm just going to be honest, I have never prayed hours over one of my messages before. I prayed minutes. I pray over all of my messages, but never really hours. And so as I watched this video, all of a sudden I had these feelings, and I was wondering to myself, man, am I really enough? Am I cut out to be a pastor? Am I, does God approve of me? Can I really lead people? And I just left there feeling not enough. Has anyone ever felt like they're not enough? And, and it's so interesting because this is kind of how I want to start this morning, talking about this idea and this concept of not being enough. I think that if we're being honest with ourselves, every single person in this room, every single person in the world at some point has felt like they were not enough. But what's so interesting is that people, and I want to speak specifically to people in the church, it's weird that people in the church, people that believe in Jesus, we've had times where we feel like we're not enough. You see, I have this belief that if Jesus is in our lives, if we understand that he's died for us, that he loves us more than anything, we should be the most confident people in the world. But, but there's still times when we feel like we're not enough. We feel like we're not good enough. It's interesting because I think that outside of the church, people that don't know who Jesus, they also struggle with these feelings of not being enough, of not being good enough. And it's so interesting because we inside the church, and I'm speaking, when I say we, I mean Christians, Christians and non-Christians, I think they share something in common. They have this idea that they are not enough. And sometimes, specifically, it actually, it's even like with God as well. Inside the church, we feel like we're not enough. I'm not sure if God accepts who I am. I'm not sure if I'm good enough. And, and when it comes to people outside of the church, they have that same feeling. People outside the church, they have this picture like they are not enough. And now I want us to understand this because maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I have lots of friends outside of church and I don't think they've ever really felt that way. But what I mean by that is this. People outside of the church often have this perception that if they came into the church, there is a God waiting for them that is ready to judge them, that is ready to come down with hellfire to tell them that they are not good enough. And so what happens is both inside and outside of the church, we struggle with this feeling of not being good enough. And how you will hear it outside the church, it's like this. I don't want to go into church because church is so judgmental. Church is full of hypocrites. And I have this belief that one of the reasons that people say this, and you hear it all the time, I was, I was trying to do research this week. Why do people not want to go to church? And one thing that came up over and over and over again was this idea of hypocrisy and judgment. I don't want to come to church because I don't want to feel judged. I don't want to feel less than. And what's so interesting is that I think judgment and hypocrisy, what they do, they present this idea, especially to people outside of church, that say, you are not enough. And so they avoid it. They avoid it. You see, we're in part three of our series 2020. What we've been doing in this series is a vision series. We're talking about what we value and what, we've, what we have, our vision as a church. If you were with us last week, we talked about this idea of generosity. And, and if you are with us last week, what we said, we said if we understood generosity the way in which Jesus presents it, it would change everything. Was anyone here last weekend? Yeah. Yeah. A few people. 
This morning we're continuing our vision series. You see, as a church, we have things that we value, and there are these fancy words, generosity is number one. This morning I want to talk about our second value that we value as a church, and it's this idea of accessibility. To be accessible. As, as a church, we want to be accessible. What that means is we want every single person that walks through our doors, every single person that comes into this place, we want them to experience the love of Jesus, the love of God with no strings attached. We don't care where you came from. We don't care what you look like, what you've done. We want you here. We value accessibility. We value openness. We think that, we think that here you can experience Jesus. But the thing is this, if we have a bad impression of God, and I want to speak specifically to those who consider themselves in church, those who consider themselves Christians. If we have a picture of God where we think that God thinks that we are less than, if we have that picture inside of the church, how can we present a proper picture of God to those outside of the church? It's impossible because we will always present that which we see ourselves. How we see ourselves, how we see God will often be how we present him. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk about this, this core value of accessibility. And I have a very simple message title this morning. It's one word. It's just open. It's open. Turn to the person next to you. Tell them we're open. We're open. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's the, it's the message right in the onset. We'll hide the verse for a second because I want to explain some stuff real quick. 2 Samuel chapter 9, it's a book found in the Old Testament. For those of you who are new to the Bible, uh, the Bible is split into two testaments, the Old and the New Testament. We are in the Old Testament. So this is before the time of Jesus. And specifically, we are looking at a character by the name of David. How many of you guys have heard of David before? Some might have heard of him from David and Goliath. Uh, this is much later than that. He is no longer a teenager fighting giants. At this time, he's the king of Israel. He's the king of this nation, Israel. There is no one higher in all of this nation than David. He's the king, and that's where we pick it up. And, and one of the reasons I want to look at David in this story is because David, the Bible tells us, is a man after God's own heart. He's a man after God's own heart. And so what that means, I believe literally in the Old Testament, a lot of times David in his life, he gives us a picture of Jesus. He paints us a picture of Jesus. What did I say? Picture. I didn't say he is Jesus. He paints us a picture of Jesus. And in the story this morning, I believe that we are going to see the picture of Jesus, the picture of God that we need to see when it comes to our church, when it comes to our lives, and the vision that Jesus has for every one of us in this room. You see, in the Old Testament, I said it's before the time of Jesus, but I believe that if we understand the Old Testament in its proper context, everything in the Old Testament points towards Jesus in the New. And so throughout this story, I want us to actually see God, and I want us to actually see Jesus. So now, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Anyone ready? Yeah. Touch the person next to you. Tell them I'm ready. <laughs> Verse 3 says this. The king asked, and the king is David, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Is there anyone alive from the house of Saul that I can show God's kindness? I want to take this apart so we can understand it. Now, the word kindness, this, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the Hebrew word for kindness here is chesed. Can you guys say chesed? 
It's like a K and an H together, and you guys don't really need to know that word, but I just want you guys to know I know Hebrew. It's a humble brag. The word here is chesed, and, and, and in English, it's just translated to kindness. He's like, I want to show God's kindness to, to anyone from the house of Saul. But when we understand what this word in Hebrew means, there is a deeper, deeper meaning. You see, the word in Hebrew here, it actually speaks more than just kindness, but it speaks to a covenant loyalty. So what David is saying, he's saying, is there anyone that I can show God's covenant loyalty? And if you don't know what a covenant is, a covenant is like an agreement. But, but it's more than an agreement because it's in the context of relationship. It's in the context of love. Maybe you guys have heard of a marriage covenant, right? And what we need to understand about covenants is that every single covenant always has a mark. Something that makes it binding. For, for marriage, the mark of the covenant is sex. That's how you come together and you agree. We're really married now. It's the mark of the covenant. Jesus, when he dies on the cross, the mark of the covenant is his blood. This blood is the mark of the covenant. So every single time there's a covenant, there is something that has to be done. And so what David is saying, he's saying, is there anyone that I can show God's covenant love to? A love that is sacrificial, a love that will sacrifice, a love that will do anything. Is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show this chesed to? But what we need to understand is this. Even more important than God's kindness in there is these three words, house of Saul. For those who know anything about the Old Testament, Saul was the very first king of Israel. David is the second king of Israel, but David does not come from the line of Saul. He's not related. And so if anyone knows anything about how ancient uh, royalties worked, if a new king came into town that was no longer part of the line of the previous regime, there was one practice, and that practice was to kill any person left of the previous regime because there couldn't be any threats to the throne. He didn't want anyone in Israel to say, I want someone from the line of Saul to be king. And so the kings, what they would do is they would exterminate, they would get rid of anyone from the previous regime. And so I can imagine this moment where the king brings uh, his people together and he asks this question. He says, is there anyone still alive from the house of Saul? And I can imagine everyone in the court, they're thinking about how David is going to answer, how he's going to finish this sentence. And what he would say, he would say, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can exterminate? That I can get rid of, that I can kill, that I can make sure there is no longer a threat to the throne? Is there anyone? But what happens is David changes everything. He says the complete opposite. He said, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can show God's kindness? That I can show mercy? That I can show grace? Remember, David is a picture of who? Of God, of Jesus. He's a man after God's own heart. He's our picture of Jesus. Ziba answered the king, there's still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he's at the house of Makar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makar, son of Amiel. It is here we get introduced to the second character of importance in this story. In this verse, he's described as the son of Jonathan. And we'll see his name in a second. His name is Mephibosheth. Can you guys say Mephibosheth? It's a tongue twister. Don't say it three times too fast. 
Mephibosheth. And so what I want us to understand is this. If David is a picture of God, oftentimes we are a picture of Mephibosheth. We are Mephibosheth. And what the Bible tells us, we learn two things of importance. Number one, what we learn is that he is the grandson of Saul. He is the last remaining family member left of Saul. And we learn actually a few important things. Number one, we learn that he is lame in both feet. Now, if you understand, if you read the Bible, uh, you'll find out that he was dropped as a baby on his feet and sucks to be the person that dropped him because it wasn't his parents. It's like, what happened? I dropped him. And so in the Bible, we need to understand about physical handicaps is that oftentimes they were thought as a curse if you were born with it. Mephibosheth was not born with this handicap, but he was still handicapped nevertheless. And so what that meant for him is that he was a second-class citizen. He, he was less than. He was not enough. But even more so than that, he was the grandson of Saul. And so Mephibosheth himself, he knows what kings usually do. He knows that he's got to go hide. The Bible tells us that he's hiding. He, he's in the house of Makar in Lodabar. And the Bible tells us that Lodabar is a lowly town. It's a place you really wouldn't want to hang out. It's a place that someone from a royal line should never be in. Mephibosheth doesn't even have his own house there. He's renting in the basement suite. But he's hiding. He's hiding from the king because he has this picture of the king. He says, if the king finds me, if the king knows who I am, he's going to exterminate me. He's going to get rid of me. He's going to kill me. He's going to bring down judgment. And so Mephibosheth is in hiding. You see, I have this belief that if this is a picture, if David is a picture of God and we are a picture of Mephibosheth, a lot of times we have this same understanding of God. If God is out there, if God is real, he is just waiting to bring down judgment on me. If God knew who I was, he would just, he would never accept me. I, I can't go to church, he would never accept me. And, and there is people that I'm speaking to right now, and I know this is touching your heart, but there is others that I was, wish I was speaking to, but I know they will not step foot in church. Because they have this belief that says, man, I don't think it's for me. Because I don't think I would be accepted there. And so what happens is we go into hiding. We go into hiding because we have this perception. I remember when I first became a pastor, um, it was a surprise to everyone, myself included. And uh, growing up, I didn't really have Christian friends. Anyone like that? I didn't have any Christian friends. And so all my friends, like, when I kind of told them I was becoming a pastor, it was a big shock to them, of course, because it was a shock to me. It was going to be a shock to them. And I remember in the conversations I had with people, uh, they were all kind of the same thing, and they all began to ask me questions. They said, oh, you're a pastor. Uh, does that mean, like, you can never have sex? Is that what that means? And they're like, you're a pastor. Does that mean you, you can't get drunk? Does that mean you, you can't swear? Does that mean you can't do this? Does that mean you can't do that? And there was this common theme of because you're a pastor, because you're following Jesus, here are the things that you cannot do. But I believe, and because they are my friends and I know them, underlying the reason that they're asking these questions is because these are all behaviors and practices that they are currently engaging in. And so when they ask these questions, what they're really asking is, if I were to ever get involved with that, would I be accepted? Because I do all those things. And so what happens is we go into hiding. And hiding looks different, and it sounds different. And maybe you guys have heard this before. I don't like church because God is 
judgmentally. He's just a judge. I don't like Christians because they're hypocrites. That is what people do when they go into hiding. They go into, I don't want anything to do with God. I don't want anything to do with him. I have a belief that sometimes us on the inside, we don't help. I know myself, there's times when I paint the wrong picture of God. And I present a different version and I help to, to forward this stereotype. Where am I going with this? This is a vision series. What do we value as a church? I'm going to speak right now. At Kingdom Church, we want to be a place that is open to everyone. To everyone. We do not care where you came from. We don't care what you did last night. If you were here, if you're here this morning, last night, you're acting a fool. I'm so happy you're here. We don't care. We don't care what you believe. We don't care how you live. We just want you to know that you are welcome here. We're open. Someone say, we're open. We're open. We value accessibility. Man, for too many people, the church is a barrier. I don't want to come to church and they have these preconceived notions, but I have a belief that if you bring someone here and they experience the love of Jesus, it can change everything. It can change everything. And, and there's a reason, man. I, if, if you guys have been with us, I say this all the time. In the last census that was taken in Edmonton, when it came to religion, 35% of the people uh, in Edmonton and surrounding areas said they do not believe in God. And we believe that number is rising. And in a rough estimate for, for St. Albert, for Edmonton, for Spruce Grove, all surrounding area, we have said that we believe there are at least 600,000 people that don't know who Jesus is. They don't know the love of a father that is so great, that is so deep, that is so open, that is so accepting. They have no idea. And so as a church, what is our value? What is our vision? We want people to experience the love of God. And the only way they can experience that love of God is if they know this place is open. That they're welcome here. That they're welcome. And now maybe you're sitting here saying to yourself, well, no, 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 no. They deserve judgment. They need to know that they're not living right. They need to know that they're not acting right. They need to know what they deserve. Get this. In the story, Mephibosheth deserved death. If David would have killed him, no one would have blinked an eye. No one would have said, that is immoral. That's the wrong thing to do. They would have actually congratulated him and said, that was smart. You got rid of him. You, have, you no longer have competition. The throne is yours. You're going to reign forever. May David reign forever. But instead, he does the exact opposite. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, he comes. And I can only, only imagine as he's walking up to the palace, as he's brought there, he, he's expecting the worst. He's expecting punishment. Maybe you guys have brought someone here and they've expected the worst. It's like, I'll come, I guess. But I'm not going to like it. <laughs> Mephibosheth, he's expecting the worst. He gets there, it says, well, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David. He bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth. David calls him by name. It's a picture of God. God always calls you by name. He doesn't call you how other people see you, but he calls you by your name. He says, David, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. You see, the king's table, in all of Israel, that was the highest honor to eat at the king's table. It was a symbol of acceptance. It was a symbol of prestige. It was a symbol of you are one with 
this royal family. And David says, you will always eat at my table. David said, is there anyone I can show the kindness of God? Is there anyone I can show the covenant love of God? Here's the principle that I want us to understand. When we deserve judgment, when we deserve judgment, we get grace. Mephibosheth deserved judgment, speaking by the customs of this time, but instead he gets grace. He gets grace. And this is a pattern. If you've been in the Christian life, you will know it. And I see it in my life too often. It's like, man, I deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. I deserve judgment. But God says, here's grace. Here's grace. Here's some more grace. Here's some more grace. Here's a little bit more grace. The Bible says, where sin abounds, so grace abounds even more so. That's the picture. That's the picture of who God is. And that's the picture that I wish that those 600,000 people, I wish they could see it. And if you're in this room this morning and you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure if I'm good enough. I want you to see this picture. The picture is this. God says you are accepted. God says you are loved. You are enough. Grace. 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 I want to show them the kindness. I want to show them grace. This question comes up then, well, how will people know if they're doing wrong? If they come to us, how are they going to know that they got to stop their sinful life, that they got to put these things behind? They need to know. We need to tell them. We've got to tell them that they're acting wrong. <laughs> Romans chapter 2. This is Paul in the New Testament. This is what he says. And it's so apt. He's speaking specifically, specifically about sexual sin. This is what he says. He says, since you judge others, he's speaking to Christian, for doing things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same thing? So listen carefully. He's speaking about homosexuality here. And he's saying, why do you judge others when I know you're sleeping with your girlfriend? That's... That's essentially what Paul's saying. You guys are like, the Bible is that graphic? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, why do you judge others when I know you are doing similar things? And that's just the whole thing on judgment. But here's the thing I want us to see. He says in verse 4, don't you see how wonderful, how kind, how tolerant, how patient God is with you? Look at this. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Another version says his kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, our picture is like, i got to tell people to repent. <laughs> Do you not know that the fires of hell are burning? <laughs> but what the Bible says, what Paul says, is no, 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 no. He says people are led to repentance by God's chesed by his kindness, by his loyalty, what it means when you mess up, when you do something that's abominable. God does not dispel you. God does not get rid of you. Instead, he just, he accepts you. He loves you some more. His kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. I don't want anyone to get confused. I'm not saying that God's will for our life is to not be holy because it is. And God has a plan. He has a purpose. And he has a set of, of things that he wants you to do. But the way in which God works is through kindness. Kindness leads you to repentance. I'll explain it like this. this. is a true story. There's a man, um, and what happened was that his wife had an affair with another man. And uh, obviously this, this, this broke the relationship, and it was, it was just super hard. And so this man was now by himself. He was alone. And he was super, super angry. He was super bitter. He's like his heart was broken, and he just had this anger for this man that he believed split up his marriage and split up his relationship. But what happened over the course of time is that the Lord began to work on his heart and he said to him, do you want to live with this bitterness forever? Do you want to live like this forever? 
And so he said, I need you to forgive the person that did this to you. And obviously, as hard as that sounds, this is a man that has now caused their relationship to end. He realized he had to do it. And so what he did one day, he went and he sought out that man and he said, hey, can we talk? And this other man, now he's expecting the worst, right? This guy is here, he's here to rip me apart. He's here to tell me how I ruined his life, how I'm a terrible person. He was expecting the worst. His guards were up, but instead of judgment, what he said to me came, he said, I want you to know that I forgive you. And I want you to know that there are no hard feelings. And this was a story I couldn't quite understand. I still have difficulties understanding it. But what happened was that man, his guards and his walls went down completely. And he began to feel this remorse. What have I done? And now understand this. The reason he apologized was not to make this man feel bad. But what happens with kindness is kindness is what turns our hearts around. And so he was experiencing this forgiveness, this grace, and he realized, what have I done? And he himself apologized. He said, I'm so sorry for what I've done. I, I, I shouldn't have done it. And now these two men are friends. It's a story of grace. It's a story of, of, of love. But why am I sharing this? Because this is how God works with us. His kindness, his acceptance is meant to turn our lives around. Does God want us to be holy? Yes. How does he do it? Through acceptance. And as a church, that's what we want to do. We want to accept people. We want people to know that you are welcomed here. You are welcome here. I remember when God first changed my life around, man, I wanted people to know about Jesus. I wanted them to experience his love. And so what I would do is I would tell them all the things they got to stop doing. you got to stop doing that. you got to stop doing that. And it took me some time, but God pulled me aside and he said, that's not how I did it with you. It's like, that's not what changed you, it was through kindness. It was through kindness. And if you're worried, how will they know? How will they know? How will they repent? They will. No one has to tell me what to do. God tells me first. We are open. We're open. And I want to speak to someone right now. Maybe this is you in your life. You've struggled with this feeling of insecurity. You've struggled with this idea. I just, I don't think I'm enough. I, don't, I know what God thinks about me. I know what his judgment is. I know how he sees me. And what happens, if that is your picture of God, we'll end up like Mephibosheth. Look what he says in verse 8. Mephibosheth bowed down and he said, What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? This is how Mephibosheth sees himself. Because he has this picture of the king, and he's like, I know the king doesn't accept me, so this is how I see myself. And for so many of us, we have this picture of God. I know this is how God sees me, and so this is how I see myself. I'm just a dog. I'm just a dog. And so I want to speak to someone who feels like you're just a, a dog. Maybe you've been in hiding. The Bible tells us Mephibosheth was in low Debar, and it's just so funny that low is in the title of this place because it was a lowly town. And it was not a place that someone from a royal line, despite the fact that Saul was not the king, Mephibosheth was still from a royal line. The Bible tells us that God no longer calls us servants, but he calls us sons and daughters. We're from a royal line. He says, no one from royalty should be in Lodabar. No one should be hiding. Where we belong is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's the city of his presence. Every single one of us in this room, we belong in Jerusalem. We belong in God's presence. We belong in his acceptance. There's another king. His name is Jesus. 
And Jesus came to the earth and he said, I'm here to show you God's kindness. I'm here to show you God's covenant loyalty. And what Jesus did for us is the same thing that David did for Mephibosheth. Jesus died on a cross for you. And he died on a cross for me because he's like, I need these guys to see what I feel about them. I need them to see the covenant loyalty of God. And so this is what happens to Mephibosheth, and the same thing happens to you and I. Verse 13, it says, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem. He lived in the city of God. Why? Because he ate at the king's table. He was always accepted there. Look at this last part. He was lame in both feet. Why does it tell us that? Because it wants us to know how everyone else sees him. It's just a cripple. He was lame in both feet. But David says, no, 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 you got his place at my table. God is saying to us this morning, you have a place at my table. At Kingdom Church, friends, we want you to know you have a place at God's table. God has a vision. God has a plan for your life. And he loves you beyond belief, and you are accepted. No pre, there's, no pre, uh, there's, no, there's, no, there's no screening. There's no background checks. God says you are accepted just the way you are. Are you going to change? Yeah. But it's through kindness. That's the method. And so I'm speaking to someone. I'm going to make an appeal in a second, but for someone, if you've ever felt that way, if you've ever felt like you're not enough, I don't know if God accepts me, I want you to know that you are accepted. There is a seat at the king's table. You see, friends, more than just accepting us, what God is saying, he's saying you belong. You belong. This is where you belong. There was always and there will always be a spot at the table. That is the vision for this church. We are an open table, and there's a spot for you. I'm going to invite the band up. We're going to close. But I want to leave this place with a challenge. Because maybe there are some people in this room, and maybe you already know that God accepts you. You've already experienced his kindness. You've already experienced his goodness. You've already experienced his grace. Maybe that's you already. I want to challenge people because what we need to do is we need to tell others about the love of God that is available to them. I told our team this morning, I was at the gym this week, and the Lord always speaks to me at the gym with my in-ear headphones. And whatever music is playing kind of just becomes secondary, and the Lord just starts speaking, and I'm just downloading it. But, but he just spoke to me, and what he said, he said, I am that good. He said, I am that grace. My grace is that good. My grace is that sufficient. My love is that sufficient. He says, if I, but he said this. He said, if I am as good as I say I am, people need to know. People need to know. And how will they know if we don't tell them? Romans chapter 10. I'm closing with this verse. verse. He says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the good news. Someone say amen. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And those of us who've been in church for a long time, we know this, and sometimes we don't even think about it. But look what he says next. He says, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? God sent me here this morning to send someone. I'm going to preach every single week here till the day that the Lord says no more. And I'm going to share the grace of God. I'm going to share the goodness of God. But I don't want to share it to Christians every single week. If you believe in Jesus, if you know this goodness, if you know that love, amen. 
but there is someone in your life, there are people in your life that do not know it. How will they know unless we tell them? How will we know, how will they know unless I have to, maybe one day I gotta drag them to church. I gotta bribe them to church. I'll take you to lunch after. I'll buy you an ice cap after, it's summertime. I love this verse. How will they know unless we tell them, well, I'm scared of, no. This is the best news ever. There's nothing better. How will they know unless we tell them? This is a vision series. What's the vision for Kingdom Church? If you're a Christian, I pray that you are blessed here. I pray that you experience God here. But guess what? We didn't start this church for Christians. We started this church with a mission to reach people and to change lives. And I know that every single one of us, God has placed people in work, in your family, within your friend group that need to hear about the love of Jesus. I know that they may have a bad picture. Let's change that. It starts with us. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more information, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to hear from you. Connect with us there or just find out more information. Listen to past messages. Thank you again. And we'll see you guys soon. Take care.